Good morning, Mercy Road. It's good to be with you here in worship. If you're joining us online or in person, uh, it's just good to worship Jesus together. We're in a sermon series called Lessons from Lockdown, and aren't we all learning one thing or another in this season? It, it, it's almost impossible not to learn because you just have to do life very differently. Um, have you guys heard of the phrase, your best life now? Raise your hand if you've heard of that. There's a book that Joel Osteen wrote. I haven't read it, uh, but he used that title, I assume, very strategically because that really uh, describes what most Americans, most Westerners are looking for. Circumstantial happiness. Your best life now is experiencing maximum amount of happiness and satisfaction and pleasure and good vibes and decreasing or minimizing pain and suffering. And we really are forced to reevaluate that mantra, that goal as Americans, as Westerners, as people who live in the first world, because, you know, you just can't do some of the basic ingredients, the basic things that one would, would do if you were living your best life. Now, raise your hand if you miss traveling. I miss traveling. I, I heard uh, in the first service, someone said that you can uh, get a plane ticket for $11 now. $11. I'm sure it's right into Seattle or uh, San Francisco, but pretty soon it feels like you'll get paid to travel because people just aren't traveling. And what about big events? My wife uh, was an event planner for the Guthrie Theater. She would plan these massive uh, galas. And, you know, I kind of miss going to those, those black tie events and seeing people and sporting events. And because you just can't do the things that you used to do, you're really forced to reevaluate. And that's kind of today's message. We're in Philippians 3, uh, starting at verse 8. Paul, of course, is writing from lockdown from prison. He's experiencing really a terrible, your worst life now circumstance, and yet he's full of joy, and we've been analyzing all summer, what's the deal with that? I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and our text starts here at verse 8, chapter 3. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the priceless gain of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so I may have Christ and be... I need some readers. I'm going to do the, the screen here. Become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness. Can you back up one? There you go. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law or Torah. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing— 
forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. This is God's word. Really, um, through the ages, people have asked the question with this popular little uh, chunk of scripture, this part of the letter, they've asked the question, is Paul really setting the bar that high? Does he say that to experience resurrection, to go to heaven when you die, to, to not stay dead, you have to suffer to such a degree that he's admitting he is not sure if he's even there yet, because that's bad news. If salvation is based on, you know, suffering like Paul suffered for the gospel and, and being as productive as Paul is productive in sharing the gospel, who is getting in? And so this has caused a lot of anxiety for a lot of people. And that's why if you're taking notes, the first thing to, to see here is that salvation is the gift Living God's best life now is the goal. You heard the phrase, right? It's not your best life now. It's God's best life now. In other words, the goal is not to experience good vibes and great circumstances. I mean, those are nice. But if, that's, if happiness is the goal of your life, you're going to be a profoundly miserable person. What happens when you get cancer? What happens when... Your, your, your father uh, gets Alzheimer's and can't recognize it. Things happen to everybody in life that are profoundly sad. Nobody is exempt from that. And so it's revealing, this pandemic is kind of revealing a real error in our cultural assumption that, that the goal of life is to achieve our best life now. The goal is to achieve God's best life for us to find meaning in the plans that God has for us, the purposes God has for us. And we must not confuse that goal. That's what Paul is writing about, obtaining God's best life for Paul. That's what he's writing about, not salvation. Salvation is a gift. It reminds me um, of the movie Chariots of Fire. Have you, have you seen that movie? It's a great, great uh, flick. And there's two primary characters, Eric Little, who's a follower of Jesus Christ, and Harold Abrams, his com competition. Uh, the movie is about running the race, right? The Olympics and, and winning in uh, these two sprinters kind of go at it. And, and a quote from uh, Harold Abrams in the movie really reveals kind of the thinking that a lot of us have when we confuse salvation with God's best life now for us. The quote goes like this. He says, and now in one hour's time, I will be out there again. I will raise my eyes and look down that corridor four feet wide with 10 lonely seconds to justify my existence. But will I? Wow. Some of us, we look at salvation like if I just run fast enough, spiritually speaking, if I keep all the rules, then maybe God will be pleased with me. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is God has freely given us the gift of salvation at great cost to himself because he loves us and he has a plan and a purpose for our life. But it's not just salvation. Salvation doesn't just end there. Salvation is the assurance. And those who accept salvation live with the freedom that is expressed in the other character in the movie, Eric Little. He says, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. He just feels so secure in who he is in God, in Christ, that he can just go about his life and do the best he can and run the race that God has given him, knowing that God 
is pleased with that. Salvation is the gift. Living God's best life now is the goal. If you look at the section we read, here's another translation of 9b, 3 verse 9, but the second part. I do not have a righteousness of my own that comes from obedience to Torah or the law, but one that comes through Christ's faithfulness. This righteousness from God is based on trust. That's the gift. The goal is not that I have already obtained, verse 12, this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to seize it because Messiah Jesus has seized a hold of me. It's very important that we differentiate the the gift and the goal. Secondly, if you are taking notes in this lesson from lockdown, uh, living God's best life now is knowing Jesus deeply. So what, how do we live God's best life now? Well, part of it comes from Philippians 3, 10b. 10b simply says, I want to know Christ. Now this word in Greek is gnosis, and it is um, a perfectly good word for knowing somebody um, that's kind of casual or just, oh, I know that fact in Greek. And then the word gnosis in Greek, that's a very intimate knowledge. It's different. And so there's euphemisms in um, other Greek literature in the ancient world, you know, the man knew his wife, and that's where babies come from, right? You know, so there's an intimate knowledge. And think about it. There are different ranges of knowing a person. We have a, long, a large online audience, which I'm grateful for. That's, a, that's exciting that people watch from far away. And, and sometimes I'll have the wonderful experience of, of meeting somebody for the first time, but they've been watching these messages for a long time. And, and occasionally someone will be like, I feel like I kind of know you. And I've been on the other end of that too. I, I feel like I've never met Tim Keller, but I've read all of his books and I like him. And I feel like, gosh, I feel like I know Tim Keller in a sense. And yet, do I? Not really. Think about a marriage. You know, part of what mar- makes marriage so hard is this intimate knowledge. You get to know a person so well that when they're kind of offending you or having a thought of judgment against you or frustrated with you, it's almost like you can read their mind. And any other person would never kind of pick up on that little subtlety, but you can kind of, and so people who know each other that well have the ability to offend and, and uh, annoy each other almost like through t- telepathy. And, and I guess the question that this text would ask me is, how well do you know Jesus, Mike? Obviously, there will come a day when we see Jesus face to face. But through the gospel accounts, if we're really reading about who Jesus is, often, and meditating on that, and if we're talking to Jesus, and we believe Jesus is as close to us as our next breath, and Jesus is interceding on our behalf, if we're really students that follow Jesus, we will know him as well as I would know you if we only had a Zoom relationship. Even though there's a barrier, we are meant to pursue a deeper knowledge of Jesus. The Apostle Paul writes to these really uh, suffering Christians throughout the New Testament, and one thing that all the commentators find fascinating is he's not more specific when he prays for people. You know, I mean, these are people that are going through it. They're being tortured in the Colosseum and they're having their property taken away because they're Christians. And he's not always quick to address these individual needs. Like, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I just pray for, for Joe, whose leg was torn off by a lion. And, you know, he doesn't get that specific 
usually. But what he does do is he'll mention names and he'll just say, I just pray that you would know Jesus more deeply. He's constantly praying for that. Why? It's like Paul knows there's something even more important than you being healed from that medical thing. Not that God isn't open to that, but he wants you to know him. It's the purpose of your life. It's more important than living your best life now. It's living God's best life now. So what else is living God's best life now? Well, if you're taking notes, the third point is this. Living God's best life now is accessing the power of the resurrection. Philippians 3.10. He wants to know Christ intimately and the power of the resurrection. Now, this is a mysterious point. I mean, think about it. How would you answer the question? How do you access the power of the resurrection? You know, the same potent power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. How do you access that? Uh, 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 prayer, uh, surrender, submission to our life, turning away from sin, turning to God. Yeah, yeah te- technically correct, but practically, how do you access it? It's a hard, hard thing to describe. But Paul says it's one of the main purposes of living the life that God wants you to live. And he's proof of it, right? He's probably got broken bones. He's probably been tortured. He's aging. His eyesight is going. He's probably in a lot of physical pain. He's probably underfed because in the ancient world, they didn't give food and you had to rely on your own support system to bring that in. He's in a really tight spot. He's on death row unfairly. And yet joy emanates. He's other focused. He's not focusing on himself nearly as much as he's focusing on everybody else. In the letter, and their well-being, and and even more than others, on God. He's constantly talking about knowing Jesus, and now he's able to, earlier in the letter, say things like, yeah, I know there's some people that preach Christ out of competition, so apparently he had some colleagues who were almost just rubbing it in Paul's face that he was in prison and their church got big, and so he's aware of all those pains, and yet, he, he must have access to some type of power. Now, a lot of us, I think, and I've fallen into this, confuse this with just the power of positive thinking. And, and there is something to just have a good attitude. And I'm trying to teach my kids that, you know, and smile, it'll make you happier. And, you know, just have a good attitude, reframe the situation. But there are severe limits to the power of positive thinking. And guess what? Positive thinking does not have a good track record at bringing dead people to life. There is one power that brings the dead to life, and it's the resurrection power. I remember when I was in Iraq, it was probably six months in, and we had this unfortunate uh, rhythm of Thursday nights rocket attacks would happen. They just like to shell us on Thursdays, and you'd have to get in your body armor, and you'd have to go sit in a bunker outside, uh, crouch in there, and you're all packed in, and it's hot. It's like 110 degrees, even at night. And, uh, you know, there's this guy who who really was a positive person, and he was funny. He was kind of like a, a comedian of sorts, and he ordered a ton of Mardi Gras beads, bead necklaces for us, and then he ordered cases somehow of what's called near beer. You can't drink alcohol in combat, which in general is a very good idea, I think. Um, and he would bring in this fake near beer. 
and he made a mixtape and like Bob Marley songs, like don't worry about a thing, you know, and it was really comical because he would station them in the bunker and when the rockets would come in, we're sitting there and he'd pass out the beads and we'd have beads around our neck and I just have this picture of him smoking a cigarette and drinking his near beer and laughing, making us laugh. And then about the six month mark, one week, I'll never forget this image in my mind. I just saw him and he's kind of doing the normal bit and he just turns off his radio and he puts his near beard down and you just see this big crocodile tear just roll down his face because the week earlier he had just lost two of his closest friends. And I just boom, boom, boom. And it's like we just realized that is the limit of positive thinking. Paul's not talking about that. And don't confuse Christian having a happy attitude with tapping into the most potent power of the universe, God's resurrection power. So what would it look like for you personally to start tapping into this power? I think it starts with pursuing a greater relationship, a deeper knowledge of Jesus Christ, really knowing him, talking to him and asking for it. It's funny how mythology sometimes has truthful echoes of reality. The, the mythology of Thor. Marvel movies, anybody? Thor, God of Thunder. I mean, he's given this hammer and he can wield it and he confuses that the hammer itself is the power. And when it's destroyed, he gets really depressed because now his source of power is gone. And then his father explains to him, it was never about the hammer. The hammer was never the source of the power. It was only the training wheels that you needed to learn how to wield the power. The power itself is lightning. You can control lightning. It comes out of your eyes and your hands. You just needed something to teach you how to wield it. And then, of course, you know, he wins the day, and that's why Marvel movies sell. What if it's the same way? What if these little rhythms that God calls us to, like quiet times in the morning and coming to church regularly and talking to him in a prayer journal and worshiping in total truth and spirit, they're not the point. They're just the hammer that teaches you how to wield the real power. What if we do these things so the power of the resurrection, the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead, can begin to flow through us and give us the ability to forgive when we, in our own flesh, simply cannot, because the, the grievance done to us was too much. It gives us the power to be courageous when every circumstance around us, boom, 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 fills us with a fear that would paralyze us normally. Remember that time you did that thing that was really hard, and in retrospect, upon reflection, you, you wondered, how did that, how did I do that? That's not like me. I know me. I'm not that gracious. I'm not that I'm not that loving. I'm not that gritty. And yet somehow by God's power, when I totally depended on him, he allowed me to do it. We all have faint experiences of that. And the, and the goal, according to Paul, is not to get complacent and say, you know what, I've got salvation and now I'm just going to go after good vibes and good times and try to avoid pain. No, he said, no. I've not gotten there yet, but I'm going to use all of these experiences to keep running the race, and I want to know Jesus, and I want to access this power, 
and learn how to wield it. Have you guys ever been cutting wrapping paper and you get the glide on the scissors? Isn't that the best? Just the whoa, it feels like magic, like you're a wrapping paper ninja, you know? That's a very imperfect metaphor, but that it's almost like God wants to show you how to get the spiritual glide on the scissors. When you, had, when you go about your normal life and you're called to virtue and you're called to love and serve and share the gospel of Jesus Christ, as we access this resurrection power, he just shows us how to do things that we couldn't do before. Now, you don't have to try for the glide. You could just chop away and say, that's too hard. I could never learn how to do that but it feels pretty good to glide. And you were made to glide. I write these messages with my good friend, Pastor Tom Bennett of Coast Bible Church in Costa Mesa, California. We have our Zoom session. He's a biblical scholar. He's a doctor of the New Testament at Fuller Seminary, as well as a pastor. And when we were writing this one, I got to the third point. Living God's best life now is accessing the power of the resurrection. And I said, great three nice points. We're done. And he goes, no, we're not. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, you're forgetting the suffering part. Oh, you see, that's something I, I do more often than I'd like to admit. I, I, don't, I don't like suffering. Now, nobody loves it, but have you guys heard of the Enneagram? It's a personality mapping test, different numbers. I'm a seven. Sevens are enthusiastic, fun-loving, idea people, uh, we're entrepreneurial. We love to uh, think of new things and have a variety of experiences. And we're, in general, likable, fun people. But every number on this personality test has kind of a basic fear. Do you know what sevens fear? Pain. Being deprived. They're not being enough. Being profoundly uncomfortable. I have, like, an irrational fear of um, poison ivy because I got it terribly once. And so my wife jokes. She's like, you it's like you're teaching our kids that any green leaf should be avoided because we'll be on a hike. We'll be like, oh, don't touch that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was in the infantry. I used to crawl in that stuff. But if I'm not careful, I just will live a life that carefully avoids suffering. I, uh, <laughs> this is kind of embarrassing. I got stung by a bee last week on the stomach. And, you know, in the pandemic, who of us hasn't put on a little weight, right? And it's like, what a jerk of a bee. You, you picked the chubbiest part of me and stung me. And it hurt so bad. And then it, like, inflamed. It's like, and, and now it itches. And not to be too personal, I just think Tom is right. I, I forgot the suffering part. And I forgot that life is not about just avoiding poison ivy and bee stings and any hard thing. You think about how a muscle is built. There's micro damage to the, to the level of a muscle. Tiny little tears, hundreds of them, thousands of them. And when that micro damage just rips your muscle apart when you lift a weight or you, or you, you know, carry a, a backpack for miles or whatever, your body says, this is a problem and we're gonna need to produce something to adapt to the damage and it's gonna be something good. And in this case, it builds more muscle. What if suffering and the suffering that Christ embraced is the very thing needed for you to build the spiritual muscle to become the human being you're meant to be? What kind of suffering did, did Christ endure? 
well, he wasn't just a masochist. He, he didn't like whip himself or anything like that, but, but he, he chose to be so radically generous that it cost him. In his case, he didn't even own a home. He relied on the generosity of other people. He chose to basically live outdoors if it meant serving people and preaching the good news about Jesus more effectively. And in his culture, it did. And so he was just an itinerant, wandering rabbi. And so does that mean you can't live indoors and you can't own a home? No, but, but can't you see that you're called and I'm called to the same level of sacrifice, the same pattern of sacrifice, if not level? So is it uncomfortable to reorient your life in such a way where you're, you're showing people what God's like? Sure. He was always available to the masses. And you read through the gospel accounts, he gets super tired. And they're just coming after him, taking everything. And he has boundaries. He gets away early in the morning to regroup, but, but he's making himself available. And if we're not careful, we, we don't want to embrace that kind of suffering. We want to look at our time like our time. That's not God's time. It's not God's best life for me. It's my best life. And so I'm not going to go to that event. I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to, what? You want me to serve in kids' church? And then I have to stay for another service to come to church to hear the message and to worship and encourage other people? That would be like three and a half hours, maybe even four, like of my Sunday. It's not that I want you to do that. It's that God has a vision for who you need to become. And the Apostle Paul is saying, if it puts me in prison, if, it, if I don't have enough food, if I don't have enough money, whatever it is, I'm so secure in salvation, and I know the goal is living God's best life now, and that includes getting to know Jesus very intimately. It includes accessing the resurrection power that helps me do the hard thing. And what is the hard thing? Embracing suffering. Lastly, living God's best life now requires we follow Jesus when it hurts. Most of us are very selective in our following Jesus. I'll follow you here, Jesus, but not there. Here are the things that are on the table, Jesus. If you were to ask me to change my mind on this, Jesus, that's off the table. If you were to ask me to give this up, because I like this thing, no. I'll only follow you when I, I see an obvious benefit. If you ask me to do something and you don't tell me why, and I can't fully understand the rationality, no. Because that causes me pain and suffering. Because it's frustrating. Because it hurts. Because it's too hot. Because I don't want to. Think for a moment and try to imagine one person you know well that you respect, that you really admire even. Have they suffered? Of course they have. How else do you grow to be more empathetic to other people? More like Jesus. More wise without suffering and suffering well. Are you willing to follow Jesus when it hurts? Sometimes I'm not. I'll admit that. But I'm learning that if I'm not careful, 
I will think the point of my life is to achieve good vibes, good times, less pain, more pleasure, lots of fun, lots of travel, whatever I want. And you know what? It's not. The point of my life is to live the life that God wants for me. And that's living in light of eternity. And that's living like you're running a race and the whole goal is to get to know Jesus better and to learn how to wield and access resurrection power and to embrace suffering even when it hurts. I had the wonderful opportunity to meet with a a man named Mike uh, recently and he is paralyzed from the chest down. He has been for four years. And he really feels that God has given him a vision to pray for every church in Dakota County. And and he's like, wow, I think that's from God. I'm supposed to go in person. He's a paraplegic and pray on site at all these churches. And he's like, okay, I'll do that, God. And then he Googles and figures out there's 400 churches in Dakota County. Okay. We were like 43, Mercy Road. And I got to sit with him uh, two weeks ago. We spent an hour and a half together and we got very vulnerable and we prayed. He's just a wonderful man. He brought his brother. His brother was taking notes. And I, I really wanted to ask him the question, but I was nervous because it's not the question you ask a paraplegic. And I just said, okay, I'm going to do it. Mike, obviously God heals sometimes and sometimes he doesn't. And he heals through medicine and miracles and ultimately through eternity. But it seems like you've done a lot of life-changing ministry in the last four years in this chair. I don't want to offend you, but can I ask you the question? If God gave you the the choice to be fully healed or to stay in your chair, what would you do? And he thought about it. And he said, I've, thought, I've actually given a lot of thought to this. And he, he didn't definitively say he would stay in the chair, but that's where he leaned. He said, and, the, and I asked him to explain himself. He said, I know this. I'm such a better person because of this chair. And his brother jumped in, like a younger brother, and he goes, yeah, he totally is, you know? Isn't that amazing? Whatever you're suffering through right now, is it possible to reframe how you view that suffering and say, this could be something that God wants to use to change me? God doesn't want you to suffer needlessly, and God doesn't send demonic, horrible things your way, but there is a demonic world full of sin and suffering that does. But he does call us to embrace a, ter- a certain type of suffering and a certain amount of suffering. Suffering that teaches us to love him more, to know him more, and to love and serve other people. Let's pray. God, as we can contemplate this kind of sober, heavy lesson from lockdown, help us to keep the salvation and uh, that being a pure gift and the goal of living your best life now in our lives separate. If there's anyone who is unclear, if, if they are saved, if, if they are accepted, if they have truly accepted your good news, I just pray that you would do a little business with them right now and they would feel just a new clarity and a new sense that you have given them the gift of salvation and, and if they want it, they can just accept it. Thank you for forgiving our sins. But Lord, now help us in this season of the pandemic that has revealed some of our idols and some of our wrong ways of thinking. Help us 
to be about the right things. Lord, help us to not just pursue pleasure and, and avoid pain, but instead to know you, to really get to know you. Forgive us for ignoring the most powerful thing in the universe, the resurrection power. Help us to become more familiar with it. Help us to be conduits so your resurrection power can flow through us and be expressed in great love, miraculous love. Lord, help us to follow you even when it hurts. In Jesus' name. Let's stand and respond. Lord of God, declare this truth over our lives. You are the way. The way, the truth, the life. has now voted 94% uh, yes to um, being adopted by Mercy Road. And so we're going to welcome them in both our 9 a.m. outdoor weather dependent service and then this service as well. Um, we will also be welcoming a staff member to Mercy Road because their lead pastor, Pastor Chad Murphy, is going to become our associate pastor. Spiritual formation pastor will be his title. And I've really come to love and respect Chad. He's humble. He's uh, got a lot of theological training and loves to just shepherd people. He, he's just a really likable, good pastor. And uh, we have had that empty slot for almost two years since we lost our associate pastor, Jonathan Nelson. He went on to take a lead role. And so it's going to fill out the team. I've actually preached every Sunday since October, which is a little bordering on uh, too much of the same voice. And, and we really believe at Mercy Road that 
you know, preaching is just God's word filtered through a human personality. And so he'll be joining the teaching team, teaching uh, from time to time, as well as doing a lot of pastoral care, being uh, involved in small groups. And then the other thing that we're just really feeling grateful about is Cross of Christ has chosen to take the proceeds of the sale of their building and bring that with them to the merger to uh, help us dream a little more about what is God calling us to. And this, this is about $500,000 of, of uh, proceeds from that sale. And so we feel very blessed to be a part of a healthy, growing um, church that's in debt-free position and really poised to, to respond to a hurting world. And so as you continue to support us in your prayers and in, in person and financially, know also that we will continue to give 10% of all donations and proceeds that you and I give to Mercy Road uh, to COVID-19 Mercy Relief. And that's just so fun to see people's life changed by the thousands of dollars we're able to give. We get to deliver a donated and refurbished minivan to a disabled veteran uh, this week uh, as a result of those dollars. So thank you for your generosity and for worship. And we encourage you to uh, come in person if you're able to and really be a gracious, welcoming presence to our Cross of Christ friends. Now Ariel, give us a benediction.